The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. And we're live. It is uh, Tuesday, August 17th, 2021, 5.01 p.m. I can barely see the screen because of the glare from the setting sun in the undisclosed location where I am uh, vacationing. If you hear music in the background, it's because I'm sitting at an outdoor bar uh, so that you guys guys can have the beautiful view of the uh, harbor behind me. Um, Scott is uh, in New York, uh, back in the main room, having reclaimed it from his, uh, his invasive species family, which, which yeah. overtook it for a while. Yeah. Jesus Christ, what the hell? What the hell? And we are joined by uh mark polymeropolis for the third time this is the third time you've done the show with us um and uh many of you know mark because of his um experiences and advocacy uh with havana syndrome and directed energy weapons uh and along the way uh it may have come up or i'm not sure if it did but it may have come up that he actually served a number of times in Afghanistan when he was with the CIA. And he has been about as uh, uh, worked up about the last few days as I have, maybe more so. Um, and so I asked him to come on and give us a, a, a bit of a primer on the uh, rage and anger he feels. Uh, so Mark, uh, we are not allowed to have fun anymore and I wish you were here under happier circumstances. Um, but uh, welcome back. Why don't you start by giving us an overview to the extent you can, consistent with uh, classified material, of how you came to be in Afghanistan and what sort of stuff you were doing there sure. and who you were working with. Sure. Well, it's, first of all, it's, it's great to be back. Uh, again, I love the show. And, and, you know, one of the things that I was really excited about today is that we'd have considerable amount of time to talk about this. You know, I've been doing, you know, some, some media, I've been quoted in the and the Washington Post, I did, you know, I did Fox News, I, you know, and did, and, but these are all small sound bites. This is an opportunity to really kind of, um, you know, kind of, you know, do a, do a deep dive on what has occurred uh, and what I think is uh, are the effects of, uh, of, of what has been a pretty awful couple of days. But first and foremost, so I served 26 years at the CIA. I started out, I actually, you know, was, was recruited from the agency right out of grad school. And the first job that I had um, was on the Afghan account in, in 1993. And so I had a front row seat to uh, a brutal uh, civil war um, in Afghanistan. This was, you know, after the obviously after the Soviets withdrew with the fall of the communist-led um, uh, regime of uh, Najibullah, and 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 you know the, the Afghan, uh, you know, the disparate Afghan groups really going at it. And then in 1994, the, the, uh, the Taliban were created. 1996, they took over. So, so you know, at the beginning of my agency career, I was actually working on Afghanistan. Um, I, I ended up as an as a operations officer um, going into Afghanistan in, in early 2002, I think it was February or March, to Kandahar. Um, and then, you know, I wasn't on one of the first teams, in, but it was one of the earlier teams. And so, 
uh, and you know, I saw, I, I certainly saw the birthplace, um, or, or not the birthplace, or certainly the home of, of Mullah Omar. I remember going to his compound. Uh, and then in 2011 and 2012, as I became more senior, I served as a, a one of our uh, base chiefs in a, a paramilitary base along the Pak-Afghan border, um, which is one of the most dangerous you know locations on the planet. So I spent a year there, um, and that was really primarily counterterrorism in our fight against the Taliban and, and Al Qaeda. Uh, and so I really had a unique view of, um, of of Afghanistan, you know, over over you know a large portion of my career, and then. As someone who also worked counterterrorism, Afghanistan was always, you know, even in other, uh, you know, operational tours and postings, or even at headquarters, it was always, you know, at the forefront of everyone's mind because um, of the counterterrorism fight. So ultimately, it's a, it's a, it's an area, region where I, I spent a lot of time. Um, uh, I think that one of the frustrations I've had as I've watched all the talking heads is, and, there, and there's a lot of, you know, great uh, Americans, men and women who served in Afghanistan, but it might be just for brief snippets of time, not really understanding. Um, the history of the country, the culture of Afghan, the, the Afghan people, um, how they do transitions. You know, the idea that what's just happened is, you know, the Afghan army, you know, uh, uh, ultimately dissolving and the government quitting. Well, that's what happens in, in the last 30 years of transitions in Afghanistan. It always goes that way. So, you know, I'm happy to be here today. Um, you know, ask me any questions and, and, you know, we can talk in detail about this. It's just, you know, I, and, and let me also say there are far more, uh, uh, more accomplished intelligence officers, both in and out of government, particularly at CIA, who have spent even more time in Afghanistan than I. And so we'll talk about maybe this this idea of an intel failure, because I really push back against that. I think, you know, the, the bench we have in the CIA is extraordinary when it comes to Afghanistan. And so happy to be here. And, uh, uh, and let's, uh, let's, let's talk about what happened. What happened. All right. So let's, uh, let's start with uh, what happened. How surprised were you by it? Um, you know, as recently as a month ago, the president was saying, I don't expect to see the Afghan government dissolve and the Taliban march into Kabul. Um, uh, you also had, as recently as a week or two ago, very uh, respected analysts like uh, Jonathan Schroden saying, yeah, the Taliban have been impressive so far, but they haven't taken any cities yet. Uh, uh, you know, this could be a real urban-rural divide situation. How surprised were you both by the fact of the Taliban takeover and by the speed of it? So, you know, it's, so it's easy for me to talk right now after it's all, all said and done. Um, but to, to be honest, I was not surprised, and, and I'll tell you why. And yeah, uh, uh, and, and I think it had a lot to do with, you know, with, with some of the really poor policy decisions and the poor communication um, uh, 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 communication strategy in the administration. So, uh, you know, ultimately, war is won and lost. And I always have said this based on hope, hope on the battlefield. And and the administration is kind of constant gaslighting of the Afghans uh, and shaming them. I think really had a profound effect. And, and, and the reason why it's even more uh, important in, in Afghanistan is because, as I said before, knowing of, of, of the history of the last 30 years of multiple government transitions, uh, Afghans switch sides all the time. It is just part of the culture. Uh, you know, there's there's kind of an old adage, you can rent an Afghan, and I don't like that. It's a little insulting, but the bottom line is they're survivors. So the Mujahideen groups, you know, you know, when you go back even from the 90s, um, were aligning themselves, you know, one or the other. Uh, uh, you know, the Frank, you know, Ghostin, the famous, you know, Northern warlord at one point fought for the communists. 
And so the idea when we start gaslighting the Afghans and give them no hope, essentially saying the U.S. is not going to come to your, your aid and your side, it, to me, that provided an incredible accelerant. And I remember seeing when it started happening and I started getting worried. Now, of course, it's easy for me now to talk about this because, you know, all the events uh, that have occurred, but I was not terribly surprised just knowing the history of Afghanistan. Uh, uh, and, and, and of course, also having been there so much, knowing that, you know, the fact of the matter is the Afghan army was not that capable. Um, I would think this, this special, the specialized units, uh, and I have to be careful on how they say, they say this, that, that perhaps, you know, were aided by, you know, the uh, special operations forces, the intelligence community are and were, were and are very good. Um, but but it was it was known by all that the Afghan National Army was, was, was not very capable. And so none of this is a, is a terrible surprise to me. Um, and, and I think it was just regrettable because, you know, our, our rapid withdrawal, you know, coming early or earlier, this, this kind of strange idea that we had to abide by the Doha agreement, if the Taliban was violating, um, you know, all kind of led to this, you know, the, this, this cascade of events where things moved rather quickly. And, and I'll tell you, it, it, you know, when you, when you think about the intelligence reports, and this is, I'm reading this from press, um, but ultimately, when, when an intelligence uh, uh, assessment says, you know, Kabul may fall within 30 days, uh, you know, that's the light blinking red. Um, that is serious. Uh, so that's not like saying that the Afghan GDP is bad or, you know, the trade deficit of Afghanistan is, is a little shaky. Uh, so if you're a policymaker and you, say, you see that, you don't start quibbling over, you know, what time and day they're going to fall. Something's really wrong. Um, and so ultimately, you know, I guess back to the original question, I wasn't terribly surprised. Are you, are, um, um, part of it, we were having technical issues. I think Ben um, uh, disconnected and he's reconnecting, but can I ask you about it? Are, 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 first of all, um, I mean, you, it's great to talk to somebody who's clearly an expert. Um, so I just wanna say, it's nice to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Um, but are you, are you suggesting that there, it, there really wasn't an intelligence failure. It's that there was a failure on the part of A, policymakers, and B, the public slash media misinterpreting what the, intelligent, the, the intelligence language in terminology. Is that it? Well, well, well. I mean, yeah. I mean, intelligence. You know, it's it's certainly it's imprecise. I mean, the idea of you know being being predictive in terms of the exact time and date. Uh, of a country falling, but but again, going back to the idea of you know worst case scenario, this could happen in 30 days. That's pretty serious. Um, but but I think ultimately this is a this is a, a function of an administration, and it is the president's call. But but you know he wanted to get out, and and, and you know the, the Doha agreement. So part of the stipulations of the agreement were that if the, you know if, if either if the Taliban were violating the agreement, there was you know we would kind of go back to the drawing board. Well, they were, but we still seem to want to adhere to that, and so. Um, look, you know, the, the administration certainly made the call to get out. They accelerated it um, uh, early, and they did so without the planning that would uh, that would necessitate both the safe evacuation of our embassy and U.S. officials, the safe exact evacuation of you know sixty to eighty thousand Afghan allies, and most importantly, or not most importantly, actually, the, 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 there's the moral part of the Afghan allies piece, but just as important, um, the idea of trying to, to to salvage some kind of residual CT capability. Um, you really saw over the last several weeks, you know, there was trips you saw around the region of senior USG officials scrambling for basing for ISR. I mean, this is not the way to run a railroad. And and, and, I, and I think, you know, some of the comments I made in the press, I'll, I'll reiterate again, you know, I, I was an enormous critic of the Trump administration because I thought there was a junior varsity team in charge. And I was very encouraged, especially with the, the Biden national security team. So I'm actually 
both surprised and disappointed at, at how bad they bungled this. Um, it's right. odd to me, and it's something that I still, to this day, you know, to this, to right now, I can't get my get my hands around. These are really experienced national security professionals who right. clearly, you know, made made some big mistakes here. But, but before before you jump do you, in, do you think? Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, just so I understand, you're you're not you're you're not on the we should have stayed. You're on the it's the way we left. No, I actually, actually, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the resigned to a policy that the commander in chief decided that we should leave, and that's what I'm commenting right now. My true, my true belief is, is two and a half to three thousand U.S. forces, which is going to be made up of, you know, special operations and the intelligence community, could easily have stayed, and, and you know, that to me is, is something that, of course, the intelligence community and the, you know, the, the U.S. military advocated. Now, now, President Biden, you know, does have the last say. Um, so, so I think he wanted out. But if it, you know, if it had been up to me, um, you certainly would have kept that residual, cap- you know, that that capability on the ground. Which, you know, I think it would be hard to argue that you would see the same scenes right now if we had done that in the past. Um, and and you know, ultimately, uh, uh, you know, America is less safe now because we don't have a transitional Afghan government. We have an Afghan government that is going to be, you know, you know, led by the Taliban. We have no partner anymore. We lost our only ally in Central Asia. There is no Afghan NDS, their intelligence service. You know, and you know th- these are institutions we would have relied on to, to assist us with intelligence reporting on, you know, uh, p- perhaps terrorists reconstituting under Taliban areas. We have nothing now, so you know it's almost it, not necessarily going in the dark, but it, you, 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 you ultimately you make us more safe. So I was always an advocate for leaving two and a half to three thousand. I have said all the time in my career, the special operations community and the CIA are forward-facing units. I don't deploy. We are always deployed. We are supposed to be there. I would have no problem if you said we have to stay in Afghanistan with a, with a, with a small soft and I see presence for 15, 20 years. That's what we do. And if that's going to enable us to have, you know, to make the best of a bad situation, um, that's fine. But it's certainly better than what we have today. Go, Ben. Okay. Um, so, so, so I'm, I'm sorry. So, is the idea that you want to have twenty, uh, two and a half to three thousand special operations, uh, American, um, covert um, uh, officers in a country ruled by the Taliban? No, no. We we we've passed that. That we passed that now. So, I'm certainly not advocating for that now. I'm okay, talking about okay, what okay. I would have preferred to have been the policy decision. To, to declare that we are going home, you know, and, and you keep that, that that residual force there, and you still end up with this, you know, you know, negotiating with the Taliban, you know, in Doha for some kind of transitional power sharing, um, which was which was part of the entire process. But instead, we have a situation where we have lost everything, and so uh, okay, now, no, I think that I think that ship has sailed. But the only thing we have to do now is get our get those, you know, obviously get the Afghan allies. Um, out and and you know in reality I, I see no appetite for the from this administration of, of of certainly doing anything other than that. So so given the policy of withdrawal by a date certain, um, what could have been done to do it better? Uh, how much of this is an execution problem, and how much of this is a is a underlying policy problem? Um, had you been advising the president, was the fundamental problem here that they didn't extend past 
September 11th and they did it in a rush? Or was the fundamental problem that the Afghan government actually could not be expected to hold up without sustained ongoing U.S. military support? Well, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a bit of both. Look, let's, let's start with, with the latter. There's no doubt. I mean, clearly that the, the Afghans needed us. And so I also have a bit of a different take on this. You know, the, the, I, I recognize after all my time in the third world, you know, working with indigenous units, um, they're never going to be perfect. There is incredible corruption. But, you know, th this is the best of a bad lot that we have. So, so yes, there are so many things wrong with, with the Afghan government. Corruption was endemic. Um, you know, obviously you saw, you know, what happened with Ghani and, 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 and he fled. And sometimes we wish we would have better partners, but sometimes we don't have better partners. And so, you know, so you're making the best of a bad situation. And, and you know, and that's just that's just the, the gray that I lived in. You know, you know, the idea that we would have, you know, a, a, an Afghan government free of corruption, um, you know, upholding some of the same standards that, that, that we have in the West. That's just that, that, of course, is something to strive for. But that's fanciful. And so my job at, at the agency was always to work with, you know, with governments like this. And sometimes it's not fun and sometimes it's unpalatable. Sometimes we can't if there's some, you know, if there's terrible human rights abuses. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, we were we were going to have to deal and, and, and frankly support and prop up um, uh, this Afghan government. So th that's where those two and a half to three thousand, I think, at least in the short term, could have helped. So, again, you know, it's, I'm not talking 20 years. I'm talking in a one to five year span, you know, and maybe we could have avoided this. And still say we're up, you know, we're out and done. I mean, combat operations are over. Um, so I think that's that's really important. You, you know, the, now, Ben, you know, you talked about the the, 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 the kind of the stipulations of, of the Doha agreement. Again, you're 100 percent right. So the, the Taliban were violating these stipulations. We could have easily said that date of September 11th could be pushed forward. Um, but but, you know, for some reason, the administration was pointing to that while, while the Taliban was violating that you know, wildly. And so I think that's. That's uh, that's something you know important to note. What were the nature of their violations? I mean, the agreement never required them not to uh, attack Afghan government forces. They weren't supposed to be attacking our people. As far as I know, they weren't. Uh, so, what were they doing in that uh, violated that agreement that would have justified our doing so? So I think there, you know, it, it was some of the violence on the ground, but it was also, you know, the, you know, their continued support for you know, for terrorist groups, um, you know, uh, inside the country, um, you know, their, their, you know, their, their inability to kind of break uh, from Al Qaeda uh, and other groups, which you know, there's again, I got it, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have access to this information, but certainly that's, um, you know, what what I what I've read in the press, and, and frankly, just I mean, I think administration officials or intelligence officials or even diplomatic officials, they all will agree that the Taliban were violating these terms. And so, but, but the U.S. just kept looking away. And so ultimately, that's just, that, that means it's a policy decision that we're going to get out no matter what. And that date is sacrosanct. And that, to me, was always something that, that I didn't quite understand. Um, but, you know, that's, and that's something that certainly the, the Trump administration started um, and the Biden administration, uh, uh, you know, somewhat surprisingly to a lot of us, um, you know, uh, you know, Captain. And, you know, one of the things that, and, and, and you know, it's, it's never fun to kind of, you know, pinpoint officials by name. Um, uh, but, but, you know, even the, the negotiating team in Qatar, um, you know, the negotiating team with the Taliban, uh, you know, the, the Biden, for some reason, kept the same individuals, Zalas Khalilzad, the same individuals under the, under the Trump admission, he kept them in the Biden administration. And that, I think, to a lot of people was kind of a head scratcher as well. Um, and so, you know, I think there, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of history books written on this. 
um, you know, from many different angles. Uh, obviously, the, the kind of the, the, the military aspect of it. I mean, the training program for the Afghan National Army, the corruption, of course. Um, but even on, on the diplomatic side, you know, the you know what happened in Doha over, you know, from from when the Trump administration began the talks and the famous Mike Pompeo, you know, Secretary of State Pompeo uh, you know, photo with with uh, with Mullah Berater. Pretty ironic now, as you see Pompeo on on press on TV going crazy. Um, I think there's a lot that's going to be kind of dissected on this and, and really kind of poor diplomacy on our part. It's almost a diplomacy of desperation that we just wanted out um, uh, under, you know, uh, under any circumstance. So is this best understood as a Biden administration failure, a Trump administration failure that Biden inherited and for one reason or another couldn't extricate himself? Or as a bipartisan cross-presidential failure, I think the I think the you know the last part, like you know, Mike Morell said it best, you know, uh, uh, in, a, in an interview recently. He said, you know, this is a failure on multiple administrations, um, and so you know, I, I think it is it is pretty disingenuous to blame it all on on on, on President Biden now, um, uh, because you know, obviously, you know, uh, he he kind of uh, uh, took the took the the, the policy of president trump and and ran with it and so uh but but you know look you can go back you know to, to the obama troop surge um you know it, and and there is an argument to be made and and you know that that i think that there's there's a lot of legitimacy there as we were there for for two decades is that you know the original intent of counterterrorism mission um you know you know things went kind of astray and, and as usual and in america's foreign entanglements all for good reasons you know the idea of nation building we want to make afghanistan a better place it's almost that's the nature of, of uh, I would say, the American foreign policy establishment. I was a member of that. It's a good thing. You know, we want to make Afghanistan better. But but ultimately, I think that we have to be careful as we, you know, as, as you know, history is not going to judge that. The, the core mission of counterterrorism, I would argue in Afghanistan, you know, uh, uh, you know, certainly in, for what the CIA wanted to do um, uh, was reached. You know, there were not other, there were not further, you know, mass attacks. Uh, on uh, on U.S. soil, if you remember, after 9/11, there was incredible fears that, that there were more waves. So, what we did in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and and killing a lot of Al Qaeda members and, and really degrading core Al Qaeda, that was you know that was a success. Um, uh, and then and then clearly we kind of lost our way a little bit by uh, by by staying kind of too long with these large numbers uh, of U.S. forces. I mean, I think that um, it, you know ultimately it could have been done in in, in much lower levels. And again, I would argue that. That what could have been was, you know, a, a much smaller, you know, special operations and intelligence community presence um, that could have at least sustained the Afghan government. We could have sustained some CT pressure um, to ensure that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, terrorist groups don't form. Make no mistake, you know, outside, in, you know, in Bagram today, the part one, you know, it was yesterday, maybe in the last 36 hours, there was a prison. The Taliban, uh, 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 you know, took uh, captured a prison and let out five to seven thousand hardcore Taliban and, and Al Qaeda members. That's really bad, you know, for the counterterrorism community. That is as bad as it gets. Um, and so, you know, Al Qaeda is going to have a presence there now. We have a we have a big problem on our hands. Um, so, long-winded answer uh, your, your question before. Can I put Can I push back on on that? Because I, I so first of all, I don't. First of all, you may you're very articulate and you, you make an excellent. Uh, you, you, you present your your um, position excellently. So I want to push back and just sure. say maybe maybe um, it is not the role of the United States to build country nations in far flung countries, and it's like not our role um, to do that. Um, it's not only um, a, 
bad idea, but it's it creates a lot of pathologies, um, um, both domestic and foreign. But I, I guess I I want to so one of the things that's so interesting is that we live in I live in New York City and in New York City experienced a very pronounced um, drop in the homicide rate starting from the early 90s up until um, you know two three years ago um, and nobody knows why that is there are lots of different theories as to like is it you know first it was you know it was uh, broken windows policing stop and frisk and then it was like you know lead in the war uh, abortions were legal in 1973 and there were like a lot there are lots of different theories and we don't know we don't know in our front yard why things happen um yeah we're taking an army and we're going around the world we're fighting in a in a completely um alien culture uh, alien in the sense that we're, we're not familiar it's not familiar to us um and yet we think that this is going to solve or, or ameliorate the problem when we don't even know what the relationship between cause and effect is not just in crime but certainly in counterterrorism. so i i guess i feel like i'm always surprised that counterterrorism people feel so sure about what they do when crime prevention experts aren't sure what they're supposed to do at home. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So yeah, no. So so I do, and I, I, let me let me respond in a couple. First of all, I love having this discussion. So don't you know? And and you're as qualified as as anybody to, to have this discussion. Just because I was you know I, I did some unique things doesn't make me an expert. Um, just I have some just a unique experience. So, so, so look, I, I, let me just be clear. I was not arguing for the nation building concept. What I was saying is when we've gone into countries in the CT mission, we almost, that mission creep just happens. And I, and I, and I say that because, and I really mean this, of the goodness of, of, the, of the United States. So when we say we want to make Afghanistan better, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done that, but it's, but it's, but it's done for the altruistic reasons of, of, you know, what, of, of what we believe in. And so, you know, I think that's going to be something that in the future, and we are going to have foreign entanglements, and we are going to have to, you know, go to war and sometimes invade other countries. And, and it sounds terrible, but let's let's keep in mind um, our experiences in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Iraq, and so you know, and I, and I think that that you know, so in the end, you know, hopefully we'll learn from history. In terms of kind of counterterrorism, you know, this is going to sound kind of brutal and frank, and and, and again, this is based on. You know my decades of of being in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and Lebanon and, and a whole bunch of nasty places. You know I do believe in an aggressive aggressive counterterrorism policy and and for lack of a better you know better better terms I I kind of adhere to the Israeli model that we have to go kill our foes and sometimes we have to do that proactively and I think that that it, that has that has been very effective uh, for the United States. One can debate this, um, but I think we do so you know especially in the intelligence community. Um, you know, with with the kind of you know uh, uh, you know precision that um, the U.S. military in in a large scale campaign would not. Um, so so you know, I, I mean, I, this is just that's that's my belief, my my experience. Um, you know, I've I've been face to face with Al Qaeda, you know, Al Qaeda and the Taliban and Hezbollah and all sorts of really bad characters over the years. And I do believe we have to have an aggressive posture. Um, uh, you know, that's me, and, and and that's also not to say that there's not risk versus gain. You know, so the idea of doing some of the things that we do really aggressively, there is a cost to this sometimes. You know, sometimes there will be, and I would argue it's much more rare than is portrayed, civilian casualties. 
sometimes it's you know you know we we will gain enemies from doing some of the things that we do. Um, you know, one of the one of the most refreshing things I ever saw was how the Israelis do this, and and, I, and I've worked with the Israeli government, and so when they decide to take undertake counterterrorism action, they do something that that's that 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 we don't do. They're very they're very clear to their policymakers. They'll say we're going to do this, and this is going to be the effect. We might go kill a terrorist somewhere, but you know what? We might lose an embassy, and that pro provides the policymaker a pretty pretty stark choice on on you know if they want to go through with this, and so. So I think you do have to, you know, you have to, you have to have open eyes in terms of counterterrorism policies on, um, on the gains. And I would argue there are a lot of gains about being aggressive, but also uh, on the cost of this. Um, and so, uh, uh, but let's go all the way back to the original question. I, I'm not advocating for nation building. I, my point was, I think that just because it's the goodness of the American people that we kind of get sucked into this, and it just happens time and time again. Um, and so I think we have to really be cautious with you. I actually think it's the opposite. It's the fickleness of the American people that gets us sucked into something and then has us withdraw. Um, it's actually, that's the big, one of the huge problems about nation building is the fact that we don't have the political, whether it's a good idea or not, there's no domestic political will to see it through. Yeah. Um, like we're not even interested in building our own nation. Um, so like, I, I, it's not, it's not exactly clear to me, um, you know, how, how, how effective we are, um, in, in, in other countries. I would just also say like, you know, what, what we're talking about here is going to Central Asia to fight, not fighting in our neighborhood of what the Israelis are doing. Um, and so it's, a, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's it's a different story, and I would just say, and I just want to—I I know this is a hard thing to say, but it may be that counterterrorism that counterterrorism people don't know how it works, um, because the crime prevention people don't know how it works at home, and um, I think part of the part of part of the zeitgeist here is that 20 years is too much. We don't know what we're doing. Let's get out um, just because um, we're, it's clearly not working. I think that's the that's like the zeitgeist. I think I think that the comparison though with crime misses one key point. I and I, and I you know look I, I believe in um, you know rehabilitation you know in the U.S. criminal justice system. I don't believe in rehabilitation when it comes to counterterrorism. You I know mean, I've been face to face with some really nasty you know Al Qaeda and, and Taliban members yeah. and. and that you cannot rehabilitate them like you can, uh, you know, uh, you know, someone who commits a crime in, in American yeah. city. Oh, no, oh, oh, no, Mark, 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 all I meant was when you have very complex social phenomenon, the question of the explanation of it is very complicated. Sure. And uh, and so that's all I meant to say. Sure, so sure. It, yeah, that, that, that's all I meant to say. But I don't have do I have the power to bring Genevieve in oh, or do Genevieve, you want to come in? Uh, sure. Oh, okay, because I, I thought you were in the chorus, so I, I, I couldn't no. unmute you. Okay. No, 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 I, I'm here. Um, okay. So my question for you, Mark, is how concerned should we be about the reports that the Taliban have acquired various biometric databases and, and equipment, so like fingerprint scans, yeah. iris scans, and facial recognition, especially for uh, women? So I'm, I'm extremely concerned about this, and I think that, you know, that, that my old colleagues are, are as well for a variety of reasons. You know, first that you know, look, the, the right now the Taliban are going on this charm offensive. You know, I think they gave press conferences. They're saying all the right things. 
Um, but again, having seen them rise to power in 1994, seeing them take power in 96, the five years of, of kind of the reign of terror there, and this really kind of medieval, um, you know, uh, you know, Islamic extremist caliphate, um, I think they're going to go on a on a campaign of retribution. And and you know, it's 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 great. And I love Clarissa Ward, and she's wonderful. And 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 I know her. And and seeing her report from from you know on CNN from Kabul is really interesting, and, and things seem okay. But that's Kabul. You know, it's a, it's a very large country. I think you know behind the scenes, the Taliban are going to be really brutal and repressive, and they're going to use any means in their power um, in terms of kind of you know you know uh, you know hunting down those who work with the Americans. And so the, all that biometric data, you know, is, is out there. Um, you know, I think that that you know, uh, and 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 again, this is going back into just I think you know the goodness of the American people. I, I mean, I think there is a enormous fear for the future of, of women uh, in Afghanistan, and I say this because of my experience in, in battling the Taliban face to face, and also when I saw you know what they did in their in their you know in their five years from '96 to 2001. Um, uh, you know, we have we still have 60 to 60 to 80 thousand Afghan allies and their families who are stuck inside Afghanistan. That's a staggering number. And I think people are really scared. All the reports that I see and that I'm getting I'm on a personal, you know, you know, personal anecdotes from from friends of mine who are in contact with folks is they are going house to house and searching for, um, for you know, for those who help the United States. And this is not those who helped the CIA. This is those who helped AID. These, those, these are those who were journalists, female journalists. I mean, I think there is, you know, an enormous fear. And so I, I, I think we have to be really careful on getting into this, you know, lulled in this sense of, complacency with what is a, you know, a, a, the, the kind of the charm offensive by the Taliban right now, uh, only kind of days after, you know, entering Kabul. I think there are some really, you know, brutal times ahead. And, uh, uh, you know, you know maybe, I'm, maybe I'll be wrong. I mean, I, I don't think I will be um, uh, uh, because, you know, ultimately I, I was up against, uh, you know, this group. And it is, it, is a, it is a truly horrible medieval, you know, organization. This is not just a transfer of power to you know, a, a leftist insurgency in Central America, which the United States wasn't friends with. This is this is a, you know a transfer of power into a really brutal regime, um, which is which has the potential to do some extraordinary harm. Um, uh, you know, to to kind of the good people of Afghanistan. So I'm I'm pretty concerned. Um, okay, um, Christopher. First of all, are you there, Christopher? Yes, I'm here, Christopher. Oh, first of all, great to see you. Although now I can't see you now, um, 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 I hope you're uh, uh, you, you seem well. Uh, yes, yeah. I'm so uh, I'm I'm so glad about. Um, uh, uh, please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, good, good to see you, Mark. Um, <laughs> too bad it's not under under great circumstances between uh, Afghanistan and and the Nats <laughs> summer. <laughs> um, uh, so my first question would would be, um, what was actually achievable in Afghanistan after Bin Laden was taken out in Pakistan? And if we say that uh, the, the 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 mission in Afghanistan was to prevent uh, Al Qaeda or other sort of uh, terrorist groups from using Afghanistan as a base to attack America and the West, how was that? Uh, ever anything more than sort of a gentleman's agreement with 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 uh, with the with the Taliban? Well, I, I don't think there was ever any agreement with the Taliban. I mean, I think the whole idea is that we degraded core Al Qaeda, both in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, and that when I say core Al Qaeda, it's not its leaders; it's also its foot soldiers. We had deliberate counterterrorism policies that killed a lot of Al Qaeda members, so they would not be able to plot against the West. And, and you know, make no mistake. And there is a difference between the Taliban and Al Qaeda. You know, when we talk about Taliban, this is a brutal, 
you know, medieval group. They do not have designs to kill Americans, you know, uh, other than the Americans who are in their country. Um, they don't have designs to hit our embassies, you know, in, in Asia and Africa. Huge difference for you know for Al Qaeda and other and, you know and other kind of more you know global extremist uh, or Islamic uh, terrorist groups. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I think that that ultimately, you know, there was a time where we probably could have said that the counterterrorism mission was you know was was in essence um, uh, completed. And, and in fact, uh, uh, you know, we did in a sense. You know, there was the, there was the, the the troop surge under Obama, but we've gone down to certain numbers in the ten thousands. And so, you know, so so when when President Trump said he wants out of Afghanistan, I think a lot of people shook their head. The troop numbers were very low there. And then when we talk about going down to 2,500, we're in essence, you know, we were done already. The war is already over. And so, so you know, and, and I think that the the the, the counterterrorism mission, you know, uh, almost you know becomes almost a blocking strategy where you're there, we're assisting our Afghan partners. Um, we still have the capability of ISR and kinetic strikes, uh, you know, when we see, uh, you know, any kind of renewal of, of, of terrorist activity. Um, but ultimately, you know, the idea of, you know, the hundred plus thousand, you know, American forces that, you know, that was, that's a ship that sailed a long time ago. And, and, and nobody, you know, would advocate for that. Um, again, the, the, I think that there, there, there is going to be a, a, you know, some, some really good books, but more importantly, good, you know, lectures and universities on, uh, you know, what was the, you know, you know, you know, did we have to go to zero or could we have left this residual force? And I think that's um, it's a very good question. It's a very fair question to ask. And and I don't like what I heard from National Security Advisor Sullivan or President Biden last night, that there was this binary choice of of of, of you know, staying and fighting the Taliban with huge numbers versus going down to zero. Um, that residual that residual number, I think, could have uh, could have been sustained for, you know, at least at least, you know, maybe one to five years, which, again, is better off than where we are right now. Can can I ask you because since you were there at the at in, in a way at the beginning of the story, right. um, so what is your understanding of why the Taliban made a um, a deal with Al Qaeda um, and Bin Laden to use Afghanistan as a base um, and then whether that reason no longer applies now 25 years later. Uh, I'm well, curious. For, well, well, first of all, they never broke that agreement. So they've always had that agreement. Al-Qaeda is, you know, it has been in Afghanistan and still is. I think we're going to see it in bigger numbers now because the prison releases, because, you know, you might see movement of, of kind of core Al-Qaeda from Iran back to Afghanistan. But but ultimately, these are all individuals. This goes back even, you know, even to, before, you know, this goes back to you know the the fight against the uh, the uh, the Mujahid, uh, sorry, it's those, uh, back to the fight against the Soviet occupation. So the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, and you know there was there was obviously you know internal Afghan resistance movements made up of seven kind of different different parties, and and so and so they were fighting the Soviet Union. Um, obviously, everyone knows that the United States had a big covert action plan working with the Pakistani government. Um, you know, we were never doing this directly. We went all the aid went through the government of Pakistan to aid these uh, some of these seven groups. What you had on the side, though, as well, was the Afghan Arabs, and these are individuals, probably tens of thousands, um, who came from all over the Arab world to kind of to, to help fight and 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 eliminate Soviet Union. I'm uh, sorry, to kick out the Soviet Union from Afghanistan, and that's how these groups met. Um, and so it kind of goes back to those times, you know, kind of the shared goal of ejecting um, uh, uh, the Soviet Union from Afghanistan. And so ultimately, you know, uh, uh, Osama bin Laden finds a shelter. Uh, uh, in you know after he was after he was kicked out of uh, uh, out of Sudan I believe um, in you know in in Afghanistan but it's based on these shared experiences from 
you know, the original Afghan war. And so it just, and, and again, it's, you know, it's, I mean, Al Qaeda and the Taliban are different. The Taliban is this kind of medieval form of Islam, but again, it's, it's not also all, all that different from the Taliban. Um, and, and I'll just kind of add, you know, one thing to kind of throw the conversation into, into, into crazy disarray is never forget there was three countries uh, that, that recognized the Taliban in 1996. They've only been internationally recognized by three countries, and that was uh, Saudi Arabia, it was Pakistan, and then and it was the UAE. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to see that you know, the, you know, the, the, uh, those uh, those countries that that were okay with uh, with supporting or, or at least providing legitimacy to the Taliban um, back in 1996. All right, um, if I could ask a second question, which uh, maybe is a little delicate, but. Um, isn't part of um, we talk we talk a lot about honoring the sacrifice of of our troops and our fallen uh, intel officers. Of course, you know, you, you know many of them who have the stars on the wall. Right. Um, um, isn't 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 part of honoring that sacrifice having an, an exit plan um, that where we don't stay forever? We, we we knew that Afghanistan and Iraq was never going to be like Korea or. Germany or Japan, where we have permanent bases for for, for, for decades, um, is is this kind of more of a question about how we left versus versus um, like the 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 timing of it, or sort of the inevitability of us drawing sure. down troops. So, 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 look, I know, and I've thought a lot about this, of course, with the events that have occurred. So, so first and foremost, you know, I, I have, I have lost friends and colleagues in Afghanistan. Um, I've also, you know, uh, uh, been in charge of, of units of indigenous units where we've lost um, some some great and heroic Afghans. Um, I would never say that any of their, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but I would never say that 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 any of their sacrifices were in vain because the CT mission was the right mission there. To do and 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 so you know like everyone is going to react differently either if, you, if the gold star families or those of us who lost colleagues uh, in, in processing this but but ultimately you know we don't go to war we don't go to conflict um uh, you know with the guarantee that we're going to come out on top uh and so i think that's something that's that's really important i think the mission there you know the counterterrorism mission was very honorable that you know the friends um who i lost uh you know i i hope their families still feel a great sense of pride i certainly do for uh you know for what they did because ultimately at the end of the day and, and this is talking for cia i'm very proud of the fact that that you know uh, you know we we you know uh uh were so integral in and you know and and frankly you know uh, killing and degrading you know al-qaeda to an extent where the united states could not be hit again overseas now it's not to say that al-qaeda is um you know was defeated because i think i think we have a, we have a problem again um, but in terms of, you know, we don't go into conflict, at least I'm talking about as a, as a, as a CIA officer, as a someone from the U.S. military, you don't go into a conflict, you know, with the idea that there's going to be this end game. You know, the country has called us to do a job and, and, and we do that to the best of our ability. And I, I celebrate, you know, the men and women who, who certainly served, but also who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And, and I don't want to kind of think about what the last 72 hours, uh, I, I don't want that to define them. You know, it's it, one of the one of the most interesting things I, that I, you know, and and it's a whole separate issue because I have some my own health issues, and I was at Walter Reed today, and it's incredible kind of the feeling there amongst uh, amongst the you know the service members, many of whom you know of course have been you know uh, certainly severely injured in, in Afghanistan. I think there's a lot of conflicting emotions about this, but 
you know, that what I said to them today and what I would say to, to any of my colleagues and, uh, and, and really, you know, difficult conversations with, with, with families with gold star families is that nobody's sacrifice was in vain that, um, you know, that their, that their service in Afghanistan was for a noble cause. Um, and, and, you know, and, you know, and ultimately sometimes things don't work out. Um, policymakers make poor choices. You know, obviously I think we stayed there too long in, in, in big numbers, you know, the, the nation building, you know, we, we talked about that before was, you know, certainly was not something that, 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 uh, you know, we should have tried to tackle. Um, but I, I really don't want to, in all my service, I never thought of, of, you know, where the end game kind of, you know, what, what it meant. It was, it was sitting there with your kind of brothers and sisters to the left and right of you. Um, and you kind of do the best you can. And sometimes people don't come home and it's, it's really a truly awful thing. Uh, uh, but I think that, you know, that, that kind of the core counterterrorism mission in Afghanistan was a noble one. And, and that's that maybe that's the way that I kind of process this. Um, can you unmute Ben? It won't let. It won't let you. <laughs> can I, um, Paula, can you, can you unmute yourself? Oh, Paula, just, I'm sorry. You, uh, um, we're, we're experiencing some technical difficulties. Sorry about that. Um, uh, John, can you, can you, okay, please come in. Okay, so Mark, I'm a pragmatist, and so this is really forward-looking. I don't mean to sure. minimize the value of looking back on the past and learning from our mistakes. Those are really important things. But in the next two weeks, before the August 31st alleged deadline, what is the most we can reasonably expect the U.S. to do beyond the four corners of the Kabul airport? Is it right. reasonable in any way to expect our military to go into Afghanistan or into the city of Kabul, escort people to the airport, or do anything else? what what can we salvage you know because the plight of the women and girls in right. afghanistan and all these other people who have you know depended on us is is really it's really severe so so i think that the, the pressure has built this and so and this is kind of one of the beauties of of social media right now there has been some incredible work done by some former u.s military veterans who have you know and, and one one you know a guy i've gotten to know matt zeller who runs an organization or ran an organization no one left behind so these are people who have put extraordinary pressure um, kind of on on the administration, but also with the American public to help, you know, kind of get out our 60 to 80,000 Afghan Afghan allies. So what is the U.S. doing right now? And this is this is kind of my assessment. Um, I think that we are negotiating with the Taliban um, uh, to, 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 you know, probably in, in, in a way that that was not uh, envisioned probably 24, 48 hours ago. But ultimately, it's to try to get as many of these individuals out as possible. Now, the problem is is that you know the Taliban has the entire country and is surrounded the airport, so so it's not like we can go around the country and pick them up. Uh, I, I think that you know a bold move from the administration would be for us to have access to airfields around Afghanistan, but I'm not sure that that's that's viable, and I'm not sure it's actually very safe for the U.S. military. But I would love to see that happen. But ultimately, there's going to be a push um, to, for as long as possible, stay on the ground at at, at we call you know at, 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 at the Hamid Karzai Airport. Um, so as many Afghans as possible will be let in. Now, of course, there are Taliban checkpoints. I mean, you know, and so so I'm sure there's some delicate negotiations underway. I don't fault the administration right now for doing that. Um, we're in a really tough bind now, but 
But ultimately, the only thing left is to try to get as many of these, you know, 60,000 plus out. I mean, the, the scenes you saw from a C-17 loaded with 640 people, which might have been, I read it was, it was, it was the, kind of the biggest airlift of an aircraft in history. Those were extraordinary. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I think there's, you know, the, 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 as long as the airport can stay kind of viable and open, we're going to try to keep that open, keep that, keep that, that, that flow going as much as possible. The problem, of course, is uh, people have to get to Kabul. And that's not an easy endeavor. Now, look, this ultimately, I think this is not going to end very well. Um, and and as much as everyone is trying, and, and you try to be optimistic each day when you see each one of these flights take off, there's a lot of people kind of stuck out in the hinterlands. Um, and make no mistake, the Taliban yeah. are going to are going to have some reprisals against them. And so, you know, we're feeling good every you know that 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 stuff you know that that we see some amazing scenes of repatriation. You saw, you know, the governors of Maryland and Virginia today saying we're going to take Afghan refugees. Um, uh, but there's going to come a time where this flow stops, and it's going to be pretty ugly. Yeah. So, can people hear me now? Yeah. So I, uh, first of all, apologize for the technical difficulties. I've been, uh, I've actually been able to hear the whole show. I just haven't been able to uh, be unmuted on screen. Thank you, Genevieve, for stepping in and saving the day. Um, uh, so I want to make a point about the nation building issue. Um, I think almost every American who isn't superb, supremely arrogant has learned a few lessons about nation building in the last 20 years. And even, um, uh, and even people who were the most gung-ho about uh, Afghanistan and even Iraq, which was a much more aggressive nation-building project than, than Afghanistan, because it was more voluntary, uh, are at least somewhat repentant or mutant, uh, muted about it now. Um, and I certainly count myself among the people who would not be as uh, as excited to undertake projects like this as before. Uh, there is a big difference uh, between uh, your cost of entry and your ease of exit. Um, and there should be, when you're talking about changing the status quo, there's a bit of a Hippocratic principle, um, I think. Take any steps that could reasonably be expected to result in slavery for 10 million people. And, you know, this isn't like, well, I walked into a room and turned on the light, so now I'll walk out and turn off the light. Uh, this is a question where, a, a situation where an enormous number of people have come to have a reliance interest on, on you keeping your promises and you doing the things that you say you're going to do. And, um, and so I think it does not answer the question to say, why, why do we do so much nation building? Uh, that's a question for should we invade Afghanistan again sometime, but it doesn't really answer the question, okay, what do you do when there are 10 million women and girls in the country who, who the, their only ability to avoid, you know, something between sex slavery and being shut, it, shut up at home and not allowed to go to school and have no uh, uh, professional opportunities relies on a, a, a military presence that's ongoing. And I, I think there's a real question that people are too breezy about, about what the 
default state is. Um, so that's all I have to say on the subject. Paula, uh, the floor is yours. And GDF, feel free to mute me. Hi, um, thank you for coming on. So sure. my question is in regards to the planning, um, I've seen now from the New York Times and people like Matt Zeller that it seemed to be um, a little bit more negligent um, on part of the administration and actually ignoring intelligence that was warning them. Um, and I also, on the current response, I've actually been quite shocked at I, and what seems to me a quite slow, unaware and strange response from the administration, um, especially that speech to me that Joe Biden gave seemed to be quite unaware, like he had not been watching television and also not taking questions after the press conference. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. I feel like that might be a harsh no, it's not harsh. Um, response. No, I feel it's, unqualified yeah. to say that, but that no. it, I, 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 and I feel shocked. Yeah. Quite so, right. I, first of all, I agree with you, you know, entirely. If you've seen my Twitter meltdowns and others, um, I think you would, you would see that 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 I agree. And so, there's a couple things. One is, you know, so so a, a lot of us, including myself, I will admit, you know, supported Joe Biden for president for a variety of reasons. You know, a lot of mine had to do, you know, of course, you know, where America's state in, in the world was. Um, but but one of the things I've been shocked at, uh, and this is not going to get me invited ever, you know, you know, you know, back to the White House is is the lack of empathy right now for for an individual who has been empathetic his entire career. Let me just let me just give you you know, and I have to always say this because I've gotten destroyed by the right on Twitter on this. I interned for Joe Biden a billion years ago between undergrad and grad school at Cornell. He would never remember me in a million years. I did host him in the Middle East one time when I was in a, in a manager in a station, um, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Ago, but but ultimately he's someone I followed, and, and one of the appeals about him was that he was empathetic. His speech and, and, and the administration has shown a staggering lack of empathy towards the following, towards our Afghan allies, they, you know, towards even the Afghan government gaslighting them relentlessly, that, which, which I think was an accelerant for this. And ultimately, uh, Joe Biden's statement, President Biden's statement, you know, several days ago, just about the, you know, the future plight of women and, 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 and girls uh, in Afghanistan. So that's been really shocking to me. Um, and I think it's something that, that I think a lot of, and, and, you know, and, you know, one of the things that I think that is a good trait um, about a lot of us, particularly in national security, particularly those who supported Joe Biden um, in, his, in his presidential run, is that we are extremely critical now because we are so disappointed. This is, to me, is a staggering disappointment. Um, uh, uh, someone who, you know, who had four decades of, of foreign policy experience, but really had that empathy card. Um, and so whether he was dealing with the Kurds of Iraq um, or, his, or his trips to Afghanistan or all of his trips to the Middle East, you know, you know, his ability, uh, you know, which, which is based on his background, as, you know, you know, which is essentially a blue collar background, you know, from Delaware, that has all evaporated. And that to me, I'm, I'm watching him and, 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 you know, maybe this is going to not ring, ring, you know, well with the, with the, with the viewers. Now, it was kind of Trumpy. You know, there was some Trumpism involved here. Um, in, in what he said, just about this kind of cold calculating, the Afghans screwed this all up and we're out. Um, so I, was, Mark, I was very disappointed with this. Mark, I share your disappointment, but I want to say in defense of Biden on this point, and maybe also in defense of Trump on this point, they've both been quite consistent about yeah, it. Right. it. It actually is not a situation where uh, Biden was talking empathically about this situation until he got into office. And Trump's all attitude has always been 
you know, anti-interventionist. She's had more more in common with the anti-interventionist left than with uh, uh, his own political party on on this. And so it actually seems to me that that uh, it's an area that they both come by kind of honestly, and what they both did in cooperation with one another, frankly, is a, uh, a, a reflection of a kind of bipartisan consensus that has thrown its hands up in the air at people like you and me who kind of believe that there is, you know, good to be done. Um, right. I, I wonder if, are we wrong to be, maybe we're wrong to be disappointed. This is exactly what he said he was going to do. Well, well I, I would argue that, that what Joe Biden has consistently said over the years is that we should have a small, robust CT capability in Afghanistan. That was his position. And that's what he argued, you know, uh, you know, during his time as vice president. So, so I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think that I, I you know, I, I would have been, I think, I think I would have found more comfort. And I think the consistency would have been if, if he said, leave a residual force. Uh, this this completely disengagement. Again, America has to be, uh, I, I argue, and that's what the CIA is all about. That's what special operations for, forces are all about. We are a forward, uh, you know, uh, uh, deployed outfit. I mean, pointing yeah, end of the spear. We are, def you know, the, the concept of defend forward is what we do. That means leaving a little of us all over the place. I'm okay with that. That's what I signed up for. And, and I thought he was as well. That's a big difference in 150,000 U.S. troops in, in Afghanistan. Um, one thing that that we that we haven't talked about, if you don't, because I think it's uh, it, it just yeah, I don't know. I think in the, in the remaining time is is kind of how our CT capability has been eroded, and I think that I'm really concerned about that because because ultimately, you know, what we had that made us really good was our and frankly, it's our manhunting ability, our ability to find, fix, and finish and kill terrorists was based on three factors. It was based on our human intelligence. It was based on signals intelligence. It was based on ISR, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. That's eyes in the sky. That's drones and surveillance air aircraft. And and what has happened over the last 72 hours has really degraded that. Um, you know, our human, which, which, you know, really was going to be focused on a small residual presence, you know, centered in Kabul, perhaps at the embassy, that's gone now. And we don't have a partner in the Afghan, you know, national, the Afghan intelligence service. So we have nobody. So, so that is really degraded. Same thing with SIGIN. You know, we need facilities there to do this. And in terms of ISR, which is surveillance aircraft, the, the transition to this was so rushed that you saw American officials scrambling around the region trying to get basing rights for aircraft, and God knows they're going to fly from the Gulf. And so, so ultimately, our CT capabilities, and Bill Burns has said this publicly, have, have you know, were degraded even in a in a, in a case in a, in a you know in a, in a scenario where August thirty first and there was a transitional Afghan government. It is now accelerating, you know, it's now even much worse with a full Taliban takeover. And so I think that, you know, and, and then, you, of course, you see the prison breaks and, you know, at, you know, at the prison outside of Bagram with really some hardcore AQ members and reports of AQ members coming from Iran. Um, I think that, in, in, you know, in my old kind of sphere of work, counterterrorism, people back at Langley are like, oh, crap, here we go again. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I think there's a serious problem ahead for us. Um, where we, where, where, because, because not only, you know, we talk about counter, -ter counter terrorist groups flourish in ungoverned spaces. We don't have an ungoverned space. We have a medieval terrorist entity as the government in Afghanistan that, you know, and so, so I think there is some concern there. Now, you know, it, you know, are these people going to attack America tomorrow? No. 
but the idea of Al Qaeda kind of reconstituting, I think there's some there's legitimate concern on this. I think you know we are less safe, you know, over over what's happened. I want to just add one thing to that, which will ring true with Mark, and uh, I suspect some of the rest of you. Um, uh, one of the things that the Taliban did in the period in which they were in government was they were the kind of proto-ISIS that they you know, seized a territory and uh, they were an inspiration to people from all over the world, uh, including some Americans, to come to uh, uh, Afghanistan because it was a pure Islamic society, hundreds and thousands of people from the Gulf. Um, and this is exactly what ISIS did when it seized territory, you know, it encouraged people to come. People find this inspiring, and uh, those people become a very substantial terrorism problem. Uh, and, um, and I would not be surprised if there are a lot of people in the Gulf, in certain parts of North Africa, who are going to be very inspired to migrate to Afghanistan over the next couple of years. Uh, and that's a pretty scary thing. Uh, from a CT perspective, but then we've seen that happen. We've seen that there already there's a European security official quoted in the press today saying that they've already seen online chatter of people really being inspired by this, and so that's yep. Yep. yeah, it's going to happen and it's going to be bad. I, I mean, uh, Tom, uh, you get the last question today, and I'll be quick. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, uh, listen, uh, I, I already got what you think about uh, trusting the Taliban or or in their moral character, but is it in their interest to honor this idea that until August 31st, they'll let everybody who wants to get out, get out. Now, I realize you said they're way out in the countryside. They're not going to make it, uh, you know, uh, but just let's just take that girls school in, you know, Kabul. Uh, you know, are they going to let those people out? Uh, because we got 7,000 troops uh, sitting there right now. Okay, I mean, we do have uh, sort of a bigger force than what we had just what before we started disarming. Uh, well, there is some irony there. Yes, I mean, that, that's, been, that's been pointed out. But, but look, you know, no, I mean, you know, first of all, the, those who are eligible to leave on the SIV, the, the, kind of the, the special immigrant the, the visa status, are those allies of ours. That's not the girls' schools. They can't get out. Um, uh, we're talking about individuals and their families who help the United States government, but 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 of course the Taliban is is insert, has encircled Kabul Airport uh, or Hamid Karzai, Karzai Airport, and so so there is a question of even those that that would be eligible are they going to be able to get out? So so you know I think I think ultimately they can't be trusted. Um, there is a bit of a propaganda game going on right now. You already see China and Russia you know hinting at establishing kind of you know uh, you know uh, diplomatic relations. Um, uh, but but ultimately, make no mistake, there will be there will be severe kind of you know you know retribution and 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 the Taliban and you know you know as we know right now are certainly hunting and searching for those who ally themselves to the United States. Um, so I don't think they can be trusted. And and the final point, which is I think is really important, is they don't care about Western legitimacy. And 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 I, and I will argue this till I'm you know blue in the face. Um, they absolutely do not care. Uh, and so, so you know, there is. So, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark. Can I just interrupt? Why the sure. why the char why the charm offensive if they don't care about legitimacy? Because because I, I, when I said I said Western legitimacy, I think that what, what you, they've been they you know they're you know obviously their propaganda arm has been quite successful as they're getting support from Russia and China. 
Um, but in terms of you know from from the West, I mean, I you know I, I saw something which I was even it, it was a it was a it was a UN official um, today who said that he was cautiously optimistic that the Taliban would honor agreements about women. I mean, that's ludicrous. Uh, and so, so ultimately, they don't care. And and again, I could be proven entirely wrong. I'm basing my experience with them. This is a medieval group, which it does not respect, you know, the, the rights of, of 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 women of minorities. It's a, it's a there's incredible barbarism. There was massacres under their, you know, under their under their control and command. There are already reports of them kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, laying out, you know, their their type of justice, which is chopping off limbs. Um, I think we are at a really kind of strange period now. Um, they do want the United States out, and so it's in their interest to kind of play nice a little bit, and they'll get, a, they'll, you know, and 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 they'll they'll kind of tweak us a little bit in terms of China and Russia. Um, uh, but this is not a this is not a, a, an entity that can be trusted, um, or or certainly, in my view, you know, should not be kind of um, recognized, you know, certainly by the United States, um, you know, based on kind of their their history of barbarism. I, look, the, the world is going to have a wait and see attitude on what they do. You know, it's simple as that. I I have a very pessimistic view. Um, you know, maybe some UN officials think think differently, but I think ultimately, is, you know, there's going to be reports from from people on the ground and, and what they do in the weeks and months to come. I still remember uh, the first time they were in uh, power, the international community, uh, some do-gooder in the international community approved a grant to build a soccer stadium in Kabul, oh, good guy. At, and they used it for public executions. Um, can I tell one story on that? Because this is a really important story, and this is a story that's clear by the agency. But what, when I went into Kandahar in early 2002, I found a widow of an agent of ours, of an Afghan, who had been one of those, you know, infamously hung at the, at the Kandahar soccer stadium. And I went and I gave kind of a de our, our death benefits to this widow, and I'll never forget this. And it was through a screen because I wasn't allowed to see her face to face. But I think those the scenes from those soccer stadiums that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see that again. On that cheerful note, uh, Mark Polymeropoulos, you're a great American. It's great to see your face and hear your voice again. And sorry, it is under these uh, unfortunate and grim circumstances. Uh, however, we will be back tomorrow. I don't know who our guest is going to be yet, but I do know that that guest will be here 22 hours and 54 minutes from now. And until then, Scott, Oh, geez. This has been one of the most interesting, draining, engrossing um, shows I've been part of. And it's because we have, we're so lucky to have people like Mark who interned for Joe Biden um, <laughs> and spent 30 years. There's a picture. It's, it's a picture. Where is it? It's back in my thing somewhere. There it is right there. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Anyway, uh, uh, we can't have fun anymore, but we can have morally serious, um, intellectually important um, conversations on uh, on issues that matter. So thank you so much.